Cracks and Pomo will be releasing a zine featuring a variety of writers, some of whom have been featured on this podcast. To order a copy or to make a contribution to our funds, please DM at Cracks and Pomo. So welcome back to the Cracks in Postmodernity. Today we have Danko of the Dank Delos meme page. Danko, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to finally be here. Yes, yes. After a long await, we are here now. Uh, we're going to be discussing Pasolini's film Salo, or 120 Days in Sodom. But before we do that, Danko, tell us, for those who aren't familiar, tell us a little bit about your interests, the kinds of stuff you post on your page, all that good stuff. Sure. Uh, well, I uh, studied comparative literature and uh, philosophy in in college, uh, but uh, otherwise, you know, I uh, uh, spend most of my time shit posting these days. Um, so the meme page focuses on those uh, those topics themselves, as well as literature, art, music. Uh, I do a lot of cooking on there for some reason. Just uh, any kind of creative or uh, humanistic uh, kind of inquiry or experience. Um, mostly making the same joke about eggs over and over again, you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. So, you know, despite the, uh, the Deleuze name, you know, though he's uh, he's a big part of my, uh, my focus, I would say that uh, the page probably has a little bit more to do with, uh, uh, I don't know, the likes of Bataille, Whitehead, um, folks of that sort, but, you know, Deleuze always rears his ugly head and uh, so do his monstrous uh, young. So for people who have never read Deleuze, can you tell us like what are what are some of the main ideas that he's known for? Well, he's uh, kind of a pure metaphysician, right? It's this uh, focus on uh, looking at the nitty gritty details of uh, what make up uh, everything. Uh, and uh, a couple of the real notable ideas would be kind of this um, this. Uh, post-psychoanalytic take on uh, schizophrenia uh, and its application uh, to things like capitalism. So just the idea of trying to find uh, through this kind of uh, inundation of exploratory uh, experience uh, ways to remove ourselves from these ossified structures that uh, uh, constantly are, are kind of tormenting us or uh, worse yet, not even the ossified structures, but the constantly rebuilt structures that uh, capitalism kind of enforces on us as it melts away a preceding culture, um, but kind of using that and weaponizing it in order to uh, escape into some kind of future that might actually be better for us. Um, otherwise, you know, a lot of focus on literature, uh, a lot of focus on the arts. Uh, he does a lot of commentaries, which are extremely uh, loose a lot of the time on various philosophers, uh, be it Spinoza or w Wittgenstein or, or Nietzsche or anyone. Um, so, you know, he, he really kind of journeys around a lot. He, he takes that schizophrenic walk and uh, kind of revitalizes and, and redescribes a lot of preceding thinkers. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, other than that, um, I guess real notable ideas would be things like the body without organs, uh, the just the notion of deterritorialization, um, both of which fit into what I ended up mentioning before, which is this uh, uh, removal from or wandering away from or uh, recapitulation uh, or or and any one of many versions of those things of uh, 
of the the way that um, our lives and uh, ways of thinking are structured in order to reorganize them into new potentials that we weren't aware of before. Mm -hmm. So would you and shitting on Freud? Well, yeah, there's that too. Um, you would you consider him a post structuralist? Is that a fair way to categorize yeah. him? I I would say so. Um, but uh, I would say that most of the uh, the, the, the most rewarding readings of Deleuze are going to be Deleuzean in the sense that uh, they don't care much about what he thought and more just what you're able to do with his tools. Uh, but yeah, he himself, I would describe as a post-structuralist. As from the little that I do understand, I think there is a clear distinction between him and the, the main post-structuralists like Foucault and Derrida, the ones mm -hmm. who have the biggest influence, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say so. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he he's... He always was and uh, kind of more free form than a, a lot of them, and and, and certainly someone that still uh, fits into this bizarre uh, kind of Pomo version of um, of Marxism or something approximating it, but still kind of uh, trying never to get too stuck in one place. Um, I mean, there's. Most of the difference there, I would say, is is a bit nuanced uh, and, and, and kind of unhelpfully so, and unless we want to spend forever on the question. But, I mean, I, I would say that his type of thinking, be it uh, one that is focused more on the metaphysics of things rather than strictly politics and always politics and always culture and kind of redefining identity and focusing on identity, uh, it uh, it's it's a tool set that's more applicable to people kind of all over the political spectrum. Uh, whereas with thought by, you know, Derrida or Foucault, while you can still use it on the left or the right, there's definitely more of a uh, pointed slant in one direction or the other. Um, you're never going to have, uh, unless we're just talking about a prison, a prison guard, a uh, kind of a Foucaultian right winger, as far as uh, as far as I can imagine in the moment. Uh, but you can make uh, uh, Nick Land appear out of the works of Deleuze. Um, then there's also the kind of reconsideration of psychoanalysis and uh, the intention of not just fighting it and in the kind of totalitarian uh, uh, philosophy that goes along with it, but a an interest in um, in turning it in on itself and overcomplicating it, and then using it in order to describe uh, itself, and it becomes very kind of uh, meta and 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 nightmarish and kind of self proliferating. So I would say that a lot of them really have these discrete political projects that they want to focus on, and they really do focus on things like the importance of of identity and how that kind of uh, overdetermines uh, who someone is, and and and. and uh, and all sorts of things, but uh, that doesn't seem to come up quite as much for Deleuze. And when it does, it's in a way that uh, can be kind of uh, more malleable and turned into something far more bizarre. Okay, so Deleuze is clearly um, a complex figure, but you know it, it's interesting how like people can take his ideas in, into so many different directions. You know, hard to kind of be boxed in. Um, yeah, and and just the fact that I mean, the thing that really interests me about him uh fundamentally whereas a lot of the other post-structuralists and postmodernists don't is um you know politics is interesting and it's important uh, but uh 
the fact that he focuses so much on concepts like you know time and substance and these more kind of uh, uh, ancient uh, uh, philosophical uh, notions and then tries to modernize and postmodernize uh, all, all of these notions and, and and turn them into new more interesting versions of those old questions rather than throwing them out entirely as is kind of the the standard i think with um, most metaphysics unless you're looking at uh, kind of uh, contemporary Heideggerians or something like that. Um, it's um, someone that's that's willing to ask questions about capitalism while also saying something interesting about the metaphysics of time is uh, is I think going to need to be put into a different category than someone like Foucault is. Yeah, no, because I think like when you look at what Foucault is doing, he's collapsing these um, these metaphysical categories, or at least the role that they play in our critique mm -hmm. of society. You know, and I think what ends up happening with the mainstream post-structuralists is like because they reduce everything to power and then in turn by to economics, you really flatten the critique. Like, and it's it's very it's very difficult to do much with that kind of materialism. Um, but you know, that brings us to what we're talking about today, Pasolini, who for those who aren't familiar, Italian artist, filmmaker, writer, poet, who was a Marxist, but not a very conventional one. He had some unorthodox views, I think, because of this, because he had this consciousness of the role of the metaphysical. Um, but he put out this film um, based on Marquita Saad's 120 Days in Sodom. And what year was this? This was 1975, I believe. Um, and yeah, it was very controversial. People throwing up in the aisles of the theater, people running out screaming and cursing, got in a lot of trouble. Um, so yeah, how did uh, how did you first come upon this film? So the way I first came across it was many many years ago uh, when I was I I, I want to say a freshman in in high school, uh, and I was a, a big fan of horror movies, uh, and I wanted to watch all of the real the real edgy films. So you know we're talking Cannibal Holocaust things like that, uh, and I had heard through the grapevine that this was. A, uh, a, a terrifying, uh, transgressive, interesting film. Uh, and uh, so I finally ended up watching it, this old uh, VHS that, uh, you know, which was pretty common at that point in time that people would just kind of pass these back and forth, you know, no label clearly had been copied off of something. And um, I ended up watching it. And while the film was um, and is really striking uh, and and certainly ends up depicting a lot of extremely unpleasant activity. Uh, it was surprising to me how, uh, I wouldn't even say tame, uh, but how sterilized a, a lot of the um, the most graphic stuff is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at, at least in comparison to a lot of this this other, you know, gore films uh, and, and, and stuff like that, right? Uh, and and I think the, the first part of that is simply because, you know, it's not, it's not schlock. Right. This is a very well-made film by a very well-respected and, and and rightfully so director who is focused on making a, a piece of art that also has you know political commentary uh, and, and and actual com uh, commentary. We're, we're not talking about uh, you know like the whoever the fuck it was that uh, ended up writing um, Serbian film and then applied political commentary to it afterwards, kind of thing. But uh, but the the other part of it. Um, Apart from it being artful and and thoughtful, instead of just reveling constantly in the torment, is the fact that I think that there is a uh, an intention uh, apart from a couple 
notable shots of uh, you know fecal matter or or, or this or that that uh, that it's it's really quite intentional that everything is put at a distance uh, and everything is uh, still horrible uh, and uh, and mortifying, but is is placed in these very kind of um, uh, you know obeying a lot of the rules of thirds you know kind of the traditional filmmaking uh kind of standards and and put to extremes in a lot of shots uh but uh, but also placed at literal and then on uh kind of emotional distance um like they you, you don't even know the backstories apart from uh you know like the the relationship of the daughters uh to the uh, the four libertines you don't really know the backstories of really anyone in this film you're never given a reason to feel anything about them apart from the fact that they are just fundamentally human beings and so uh, the film in all of its grotesquerie never gets as uh, mortifying as it could be and i think on purpose so that that was striking to me back then even when i was in high school i didn't know why it it was uh, like that but I, i've been able to give it some thought since then but what do you think ultimately like what is he trying to do with this film because people debate you know uh, they have many different interpretations but ultimately like what do you say what, what is he what is the point so uh i th i think there are a few correct or correctish answers to that uh but one of the most important lines in the entire film and uh, i don't remember if this is being quoted from uh marquis de sade's work or not so i'm not sure uh, uh where exactly it comes from but uh it's something to the tune of the the limit of of love or desire is always needing an accomplice and then you always have to be executioner both and victim right mm -hmm. and i feel like the notion of the film is to produce uh a depiction of consumption right uh lit literal and otherwise uh so you know people producing shit and then having to eat it and, and having to enjoy it and then uh, once you've produced that metaphor, forcing people to sit down with it and then giving them the opportunity to not enjoy it, right? Uh, to to appreciate it for what it is, uh, but to still find it uh, kind of despicable and to leave feeling more or less empty. Um, whereas we're so often encouraged to uh, enjoy things which have no real enjoyable uh, attributes to them, the things that are hyper palatable, uh, things that uh, are soul sucking, uh, and uh, things that are shit. We're, we're encouraged to eat shit uh, all the time and to pretend that it has some kind of significant uh, and positive effect on us. You know, the McDonald's, I'm loving it kind of thing. Um, but this film, uh, it kind of allows for a paradox with that where we watch in wonder as all of this occurs uh, and still in, enjoy it in a way if you're, if you're someone that likes a film um, and otherwise to leave kind of dissatisfied and re repelled uh but uh, not necessarily regretting what's just happened uh, yeah. which is something we don't have the opportunity to do very often now have you read any of uh 120 days in sodom by the sod a a ages ago but only bits you know um I, I, the whole thing that's uh right i mean you you only have like the first 30 days to begin with and then the rest is half written or not written at all and then uh even that is uh yeah yeah so yeah it's hard to of. say like it's um yeah i mean obviously a pretty twisted guy but he was definitely he was onto something and i think pasolini recognized that and that's part of why he decided to use it for this film but 
But I'm I'm interested also to hear. So like, there's definitely this critique of consumerism, how it renders everything very empty and vacuous. We end up uh, consuming shit basically, um, and you know, people are scandalized because obviously it's disgusting to look at people eating like actual poop. But again, it's it's a provocation to ask like, you know, how is this? How does this uh, hold up a mirror to mm. what we all are living? You know. Um, and there's you, as you were mentioning before we started recording, like there's this element of critique about spectatorship, how consumerism kind of turns us into spectators. And that's, you know, that's another um, idea that we see in a couple of the post-structuralist, post-modern philosophers. But can you say a little more about that? Like, what, what does it mean that um, that we become spectators and how does that get critiqued in the film? Right. I mean... If, if you think of all of the moments or all the ones that I can think of uh, in the film where they they comment positively on things, mm -hmm. uh, it's moments uh, when they're talking or singing about how all of the the the, the best young men lie dead under the earth um, or uh, or, you know, just this this I idea that um, uh, everything they love is something that they're annihilating. Right. Uh, and or have have annihilated uh, even even before the moment of, of mentioning it uh and so it, there's this this constant realization uh i think that whatever is is viewable uh is something which is itself repulsive and uh and 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 can't be placed at that same sacred height right um uh, as as makes sense when you consider the fact that you know what what is the sacred it's 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 something which is sacrificed sacrifice is the production of sacred things you know you, you think about uh, christ or otherwise that's that's kind of the, the formula here uh and so when we're talking about spectatorship in this film you're talking about viewing something and by viewing making it grotesque uh making it less than uh and kind of defining it as an object for your spectatorship and pleasure and that only the things which you cannot see are the things that have genuine value um there's only one exception to that that i can think of which is uh i believe it's the scene uh the, the scene that's going to come up over and over again it's the shit eating of the banquet uh and um uh, i forget which one of the libertines says it but uh, mentions that uh, this um uh, one of the slaves, their their deaf uh, gesticulations were like a, a code which cannot be transgressed, uh, and they're kind of in awe at that. And 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 the thing I think which allows that form of spectatorship, just watching this person's body kind of writhe around, which allows it to be beautiful or to be, uh, uh, God God forbid, you know, holy or, or or anything like that to them, is because of the fact that it exists beyond the limit of verbal communication and so it's something which which exists to be spectated upon but but can't then be spoken into reality right and and and, and so yeah I, I i think that spectatorship on its own sorry to be so verbose about this um but spectatorship uh in this film is just a way of of uh, making something repulsive or identifying it as repulsive uh and those things which can't be described, those things that uh, exist uh, at or beyond limits, uh, or those things which have already been lost are the only things uh, that uh, that maintain any goodness uh, and and can't be spectated. 
Yeah, and so this is um, this is something I wrote about recently, and um, I wrote an article for Nylon about the artist Bad Bunny's uh, his career, which you know definitely you see how this concept of spectatorship really takes over in popular culture. And this is something that Pasolini mentioned that you know he he was he once said that his greatest fear was not the government and fascism, but the power of pop culture. And you see with a lot of these celebrities how. Um, they really just captivate the attention of the public for doing the most mundane and empty <laughs> things, you know, because um, sure. we can't stop talking about these people. But when we stop and ask like, okay, but what substance that this has, like, why is this worth us paying attention to and talking about? Like you see that there is a dictatorship of, of spectatorship, we could say. Um, and that leads to this, you know, the critique or the, the interest that I have, I guess, in Salo is that, you know, Pasolini's a Marxist. He's he's and you know he's I guess we could say a lapsed Catholic. He says he's an atheist, but then towards the end of his life, he recognizes he has this curiosity about religion and the sense of the sacred, which obviously Marxism has a hard time kind of wrapping itself its head around. But you know he he puts out this this rendering of the gospel according to Matthew as an expression of his kind of religious search. But I think in Salo we see that. Consumer capitalism really sucks out any sense of the sacred because everything is commodified. Um, you know, so the fact that they're eating shit is to say that like we there's nothing, nothing is value, nothing has real value anymore because there's nothing absolute. There is no no deity, there's no universal entity, absolute entity that transcends, you know, the the temporal. Um and that, and especially the like the human person totally loses their dignity if there is no tie to something eternal that like again like we become shit because all we eat is shit you know um but then the other thing that we end up seeing is that he starts to see that marxism it's limited because of its materialist commitments that it doesn't really give space for the metaphysical to enter in and without the metaphysical it's really hard to overturn this you know this death of the sacred that comes with capitalism um so i don't know especially for you having you know being connected to Deleuze and understanding metaphysics, what are what are your thoughts about that? Like, what what would you say about his um, his critique on this loss of something sacred or something eternal under capitalism? Yeah, I mean, so what I uh, prefer to Marxism would be something like Bataille's General Economy, right, uh, which always necessarily terminates. Uh, uh, and it, it, it this it's not only the termination but also the motor of uh, of the whole system, but it, it terminates in the production and uh, destruction of excess, right? Mm -hmm. So this excess or the sacrificial quantity, this accursed quantity, uh, is the thing that all of this shit happens for, right? So I think that um, that that kind of critique of Marxism, uh, while I mean that it's there's 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 uh there's an issue here right well, because I I don't think that you're you're wrong in saying that uh, but I, I I would point out just the fact that the the underlying notion behind why Marxist critique matters is because uh, the alienation of each individual within the capitalist system is so great as to remove their ability to be uh, spiritual or or to have any kind of real connection to something other than uh, having everything extracted from them, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
the Marxist issue uh, connected to that is, you know, as, as you're kind of uh, gesturing towards, which is that it doubles down on trying to reanalyze how capital works and the machinery of it uh, and uh, leaves us just deeper in it. You know, it's the the old uh, kind of uh, uh, tongue in cheek, but but maybe more more accurate uh, than uh, than we'd like the the um, Marxists read Marx and capitalists understand Marx uh, kind of result where, uh, you know, you just get sucked up in that machinery and then it, it doesn't do much to fix your uh, spiritual alienation and abandonment. Um, but I do think that the, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's extremely clear to me uh, that th much of the idea of the film, though it doesn't come up very often, it's it's intense when it does come up, much of the point of this film is to point out the fact that so much of this overcommodification, so much of the uh, kind of homogenization of politics uh, into these camps, uh, etc., et uh, only serves to uh, remove the life from human life, right? Uh, remove the sacred from human life. And the two moments that really stand out to me with that are, number one, the most obvious one. We have uh, one of the uh, one of the women. Uh, sitting in a barrel of uh, her own feces, I ha have to and uh, would like to assume it's hers, but it's 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 almost definitely everyone else's. <laughs> now that I think about it, uh, but she, she she she's uh, sitting in this barrel of shit, and uh, you know uh, says the the whole uh, you know uh, Lord, why have you forsaken us? Yeah. Uh, and so you know that's a pretty heavy-handed gesture. But the the other one that I think is is really salient is. Um, uh, I think it's uh, Senora uh, Castelli that says it. One, one of the one of the readers, uh, but uh, she she says uh, when she's talking about these insane murder machines that like flay you know the flesh off of people's bodies, which can only make you think of you know the industrial revolution and uh, machines of that sort, um, or or that's what it makes me think of. Um, she ends up saying it's not enough to kill the same uh, person over and over. Uh, it's much more recommended uh, to kill as many beings as possible. Uh, and that had kind of religious intonation to me, right? Where it's not enough to simply have, you know, the Christ or or whatever your your sacred thing is, your whatever your sacrifice is, uh, die over and over for you. Uh, that stops being satisfying when you need to kind of spread it out and uh, share it with everyone and then extract from those people. You have to just turn the entire machinery uh, of the world against those individuals and uh, uh, remove their, <laughs> um, yeah, remove their lives that way. So, um, and, 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 and really, I mean, what's, what's more fundamental to Marxist analysis than this idea of, you know, atomization, right? Uh, alienation through atomization and the same thing occurs uh with something like the spiritual life uh be it uh, religious or otherwise where the more that we depend upon each individual as having their own uh kind of discrete not discrete but discrete uh a spirituality the more you lose out on some genuine sacred thing that can be shared between people and actually bond culture into producing something meaningful yeah and the the marx's idea about the you know, commodity fetishism. Um, and we had um, Bill Cavanaugh, who's a theologian on here, maybe like a year ago. And one of the things that he was saying about that section of Das Kapital is that, again, despite Marx's materialist commitments, you can see that he's saying the way that we fetishize the commodity, the way that we, you know, kind of worship brand names, like, I don't know, like whether it's having the Nike swoosh on one's shoes or on their shirt or 
Or like if you think about Supreme, that the, like a white T-shirt that has Supreme on it is like two hundred dollars. Um, like this has filled in that spiritual vacuum. You know, like this is um, it's like the divine, as he said, has migrated, or the sacred has migrated to the commodity. But again, it's not sacred in itself, so it ends up becoming shit. So you know, thus this recurring uh, theme that we see in the film. Um, but I know, but I did want to ask you since you've you've mentioned uh, Bataille before. Say say a little bit more about what you think he would make of the film. Like what what else? What other connection can you make there? Yeah, I mean, to to just kind of uh, uh, re repeat what I've said to start. Um, you know, the, the the motor of any society, regardless of its structures, otherwise, is ultimately to produce some form of access, right? Uh, be that through a potlatch or be that through, uh, you know, excess uh, uh, value for shareholders or, uh, or, or something else. Uh, so that that's kind of a fundamental idea in terms of his economics, which are, you know, of course, important to this film. Uh, but in addition, you know, so many of the things that I've said already come more or less from Bataille, right, including this notion of spectatorship, uh, this idea that by... Uh, the purpose of viewing something as as beautiful oftentimes as part of this connection to a production of excess and again this excess which needs to be sacrificed or destroyed uh made imminent uh with the, with the world right surrendered to it uh is on the optimistic end to sacrifice it uh in in kind of a holy right uh or to destroy it entirely by debasing it um and there's this understanding that everything that's beautiful kind of connects to this wider uh, kind of uh, uh, like the, the energy web that you hear about in uh, the life, life sciences that feeds into it, you know, from the rest of the world. And that, that, uh, that web of, uh, of, of energy or value almost necessarily comes from debased sources. And so any beautiful thing that you see, which is not sacrificed or made imminent with the world, anything that kind of rises up from the world or is made independent from it uh, is something that uh, can only be beautiful by being repulsive in, in some other right. Um, so I, I, I do see a lot of uh, that kind of already present in this work. Um, that and, you know, I, I, I would say that there's a, uh, and this isn't really an intellectual response, um, but uh, this this film does give me a feeling even now uh, that's, that I've only experienced uh, with uh, one other piece of, of, of art being Blue of Noon by Bataille, um, which is this sense of kind of dreamlike dread, right? Uh, just this, this feeling that, um, that what, what is being experienced is awful, but it's removed and it's surreal, but only to the degree that it's still you're not sure if it's meant to be surreal, right? If if it's meant to be as extreme as it is. Because if, if you compare that to something like Story of the Eye by Bataille, that's supposed to be insane, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's supposed to be absolutely uh, just, just bonkers. But Blue of Noon, while it does have some really extreme kind of components, mostly feels like you're being besieged by something on the outside uh, and something which uh, which isn't there, uh, if, if that makes any sense. Um, because that's the feeling that, that I get from this film is, and, 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 and I think the, the way to intellectually state it would be that it's, it's one of the few 
uh, expressions of um, one of the few artistic expressions of genuine uh, nihilism. Not not saying that Pasolini is nihilist. I don't think it is at all. Uh, but but the feeling of nihilism that the world outside of uh, this uh, this place doesn't exist, and that that's the thing that's encroaching. Um, which I think again kind of gives an opportunity for uh, another religious reading of this, uh, which is that um, the absolute void of uh, of of anything notable, be that just cultural death, or be that the notion of a death without afterlife, or or, or anything like that, um, needs to be confronted in this most dreadful possible world right so this is the place where you have to find the answer uh and this is a place that doesn't have uh anything good to give you and yet you still have to find uh some kind of uh, i wouldn't want to be as heavy-handed as to say salvation but maybe that's the only correct word for it well yeah i mean if not salvation is something that um yeah i mean in a sense there's a need to be saved there's a need to be saved from the shit ultimately <laughs> You know, um, so no, I mean, before we before we wrap things up, I wanted to ask, you know, so it's however many years, what, like 40, 50 something years later, what do you think the film has to offer to audiences today? Like, how is it relevant to what's going on in our world at this point? It gives you an opportunity, like I kind of pointed out at the beginning, to view something and appreciate it without enjoying it. Um, there are a lot of beautiful parts of the film. There are a lot of things that I do find enjoyable. I do like watching the film, but mostly I like to watch it uh, because of the way that I feel afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, but you are inundated constantly with media that only has the purpose of catching attention and uh, maintaining it for as long as possible and making you think that you're enjoying it so that you can feel awful about it afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I think with the correct viewing, this type of media... Uh, and media like Blue of Noon um, uh, gives you the opportunity to struggle through something, uh, to not necessarily find it uh, joyous or even captivating. At, at points, this movie is downright boring uh, uh, for myself and, and others that I've spoken to. It's it's disgusting. Uh, it's uncomfortable. But it's rewarding uh, in spite of and because of that. Uh, and uh, works as this kind of beautiful meta-commentary on how awful most of what you're consuming and pretending you enjoy is, uh, including things like meme pages. <laughs> so that's my primary takeaway. Yes, that's a valid point. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, first of all, I really, I have to say, it is hard to watch. It's not for the faint of heart. Not everyone will be able to handle it, but... Um, I do think if you you find yourself capable of watching it, yeah, like it does make us ask these these really important questions about the conditions we're living in, primarily about how we become consumers, we become spectators, but also what is capable of saving us, you know, like what can take us out of the shit. Um, I think, again, the fact that it's so dramatic, it's so grotesque, it forces us to reckon with the fact that simplistic answers are not going to save us from it like there has to be something comprehensive there has to be something like i don't know real uh that has real substance so yeah that's it's gross it's disgusting but it does force us to ask these essential questions so i would say watch it if you if you have the stomach for it if not then read something about it um but yeah so before we go danko anything that you want to plug for listeners 
Yeah. Um, so apart from the the meme page, uh, so Dank Deleuze uh, on Instagram, uh, the uh, the more important thing that I'd like to plug is I do teach a writing workshop um, every Saturday. Uh, that's through Zoom. Uh, you can find that on uh, Patreon. It's patreon.com slash truncata, which is T-R-U-N-C-A-T-A. Uh, what we do is uh, every week we read an essay or two, some poetry, look at uh, some media, be it a, a film or some images, uh, whatever. Uh, and uh, we do some writing exercises. We just talk about the readings. We talk about philosophy and literature uh, otherwise. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a good time. So uh, I'd invite everyone to go check that out. Uh, and uh, otherwise, that's it for me. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.